As Simon has alluded to, we are going to be looking at Nehemiah 3 this morning. But to begin, I just wanted to do a quick recap. So Nehemiah has this great burden. He hears that the um, wall has been uh, needs to be rebuilt and that, the, that they're, they're coming back to Jerusalem and they're out of captivity and that actually they're vulnerable. And so he has this amazing burden that he takes to the Lord and he waits for God to speak and then he goes and uses his influence with the king Um, and now we come into chapter three at a point when they're in the doing. So that's kind of a whistle-stop tour around where we've come to and I encourage you to listen to um, the previous weeks if you haven't already. Um, But what we need to do before we look at anything of that and park that there is look at Nehemiah in the context of the Bible. Actually, it's part of the redemptive story that we know the outcome to um, in the terms of where Jesus comes into play with this. And actually, what Nehemiah is um, drawing our attention to, what it is looking at is the kingdom that he ultimately is going to be part of. That actually, as Nehemiah is building the walls to um, the city, that actually the redemption that we know is coming is the holy city, and that is of Jesus. And that actually the kingdom of heaven and the mirror that that is drawing our attention to. Um, It's exciting and it's interesting. And it could, at a first glance, be about delegation. But it's much, much, much more deeper than that. And we have an opportunity to not only look at what it is to be part of God's great plan, but also to see the context across the whole of the Bible and the holiness that we're drawn into. Now, I'm going to read chapter three, and you are going to have to bear with me because it is just names. And if anyone has ever had to read from the Bible out loud, names are always fun. Um, It's quite long, but I think it's really important that we just focus in on it. So if you're following along with me, then Elishabib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel, and next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imram, built. The sons of Hassanai built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Mermoth, the son of Uri, son of Hakox, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berakai, son of Meshulabal, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bannon, repaired. And next to them, the Tekelites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their lord. Joad, the son of Para, and Mashalim, the son of Bersidii, repaired the gate of Yeshiana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Malatai and Gibeonite and Jaden, the Meronites, the men of Gibeon and of Zippai, the seat of the governor of the province of beyond the river. Next to them, Uzali, the son of Harai, goldsmith repaired next to him, Hanani, one of the perfumers, repaired, and they stood, and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephani, the son of Hur, ruler of the half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedi, the son of Haravumph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabani, repaired. Malachi, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the son of Parathmub, repaired another section and the tower of the ovens. 
Next to him, Shalom, the son of Harosheh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired, and he and his daughters. Hanan and the inhabitants of Zanon repaired the valley gates. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malachi, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth and Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Koheleth, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall, all the pool of the Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Azgbuk, ruler of the half-districts of Beth Zura, repaired two points opposite the tomb of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the health of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabai, ruler of the half-districts of Keilah, repaired for his district. After him, his, their brothers repaired, Bavai, the son of Henadad, ruler of the half-districts of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent of the armory of Butteress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired the door of the house of Elishabab, the high priest. After him, Mermith, the son of Uri, son of Hasox, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishib to the end of the house of Elishib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, ben- Benjamin and Hasub repaired opposite their house. After them, Azera, the son of Masai, son of Anani, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benanu, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Zerai to the buttress of the corner. Palai, the son of Uzai, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padai, the son of Parosh, and the temple servants living in Oprah, repaired to the point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Techites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the war of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Imer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemai, the son of Shiglai, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hanani, the son of Shemali, and Hanug, the sixth son of Zaphal, repaired another section. After him, Meshalim, the son of Barakai, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malachi, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. And breathe. (laughs) Now, you might be thinking, why did she bother reading out all those names atrociously? It's because I think it really drums home how big a task this actually was we hear about rebuilding the wall and I think we have this sense of like okay what what did that look like um there was the um historian Josephus said that the actual wall was around four and a half miles in circumference it's believed to have been 15 feet deep and 12 feet high it was an absolute mammoth task and I think a lot of historians who um, looking at it, it would have been taken a considerable amount of time, energy, resource, and it was this big vision that was given to Nehemiah. And 
If we look at other parts of the Old Testament, commentators look at how Moses was given a vision and David, they all had a sense of um, a God purpose. And the people were sort of dragged along with them in that. They didn't really have much choice. But this is kind of the shift that we're moving towards in that we're looking at how actually this was about a community. This was about Nehemiah having no ability to enact this on his own. But actually, he needed and required the complete collaboration of the people. Now, actually, everyone was part of this, as we've just read. And it was whether it was women, men, clergy, priests, um, those in the workplace, we heard about merchants, goldsmiths, perfumers. They all played this part in their part in building the wall. And every way, the whole way through that chapter, which is part of the reason I read it, is it says next to him, next to him, and then they did, and next to him, and next to him. They were shoulder to shoulder. Now that is quite a powerful um, image for us. It's incredibly powerful because it's looking at saying they had their own ministry. They had their own God purpose. (coughs) Now that is exciting because that is an image for us. That's how we can look at what our purpose is. So if we look at what we're doing in terms of being part of the global church, if we look at what actually it is to be part of a vision from God, if you would call yourself a Christian this morning, then you signed up to being part of God's vision for the world. That is to love your God with all your heart, mind and soul and to go out and make disciples. That is a very big vision. That's one that we see and we engage with on a global scale. And then God narrows that for us and puts us in places where we get the opportunity to have our own ministry, to act out that purpose together. And if you would call Berry and you would call St. Peter's, your local church, welcome. It's great to have you with us because we are all together um, to build part of our wall. And um, Simon and Sarah have set the vision for the church. We've heard about that earlier in the recent preachers. We've seen the hope to see God's kingdom come as it is in Berry, to actually see the world transformed, to have people coming into our um, church and for us to go out and meet them, for actually for people to not only encounter um, the living God in our community, but to see people's lives transformed, to have people who have never accepted Jesus step into and become citizens of this new kingdom, citizens of this new um, world that they can have access to through Jesus. And that's ultimately what we are looking at in terms of this redemptive picture. If you would call yourself a Christian, you would have had a moment where you realized the weight of your own sin, The only way to God was through Jesus and you will have embraced that. And in return, you receive his presence, his freedom and his sonship. That actually you now stand before God as a daughter or a son. And that is incredibly powerful. And with that comes access to his toolkit, access to his abilities and gifts. And do you know what he's given them specifically to you, specifically for such a time as this, specifically for this church, specifically for where you are positioned, for your job, for your sector, for your school. It is where he has positioned you for not such a time. Um, a bit like Bob the Builder, 
I want you to imagine, um, can he fix it? Yes, he can. Um, that you have your own toolkit, that actually around your waist is a toolkit. And I'd like you just to consider for a moment, what are you good at? What are the things that you are passionate about? What are the things that frustrate you? Someone once said to me, if you don't know how to serve in a church, think about what annoys you and then go back to that because maybe it's something that God's asking you to consider. But what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that you are frustrated by? What are you good at? And what are the ways in which you can bring, what can your specific character bring? If you would call yourself a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. He's speaking to you daily. Ask him. Different seasons bring different things, but ultimately, we have a wall before us, and we have been called into this time to build together. Now, I'd like to just have a little consideration around gifts and talents, because I think that it can be quite overwhelming. I've definitely had seasons of not knowing what I'm particularly gifted at or what I would naturally call a talent and definitely how that would be applicable in a church setting. We have performance reviews at work um, and that goes through exactly what your gifts and talents are and are not. Um, and up, up, sometimes we actually need a bit more guidance here. So I'm going to read a list to you, it's not quite as long as what we've just read, of spiritual gifts and talents if you want to come chat to me afterwards, I can show you where they're all listed in the Bible. But they might be slightly different to what you maybe heard or um, been part of before. So I'm just going to pull those up. You ready? Administration, apostle, celibacy, craftsmanship, discernment, encouragement, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, service, hospitality, intercession, knowledge, leadership, mercy, compassion, miracles, missionary, music, pastoring, shepherding, poverty, voluntary, prophecy, teaching, tongues, interpreting, tongue speaking, that's what we heard this morning in worship, wisdom and writing. Now, that is an extensive list of gifts and talents. And actually, what I would like to offer as well um, as part of this, if you have listened to that list and thought, I have no idea, there's actually, it's a bit of like a, it's not a personality test at all, but it's a way of working out what your top five are. Rami and I are going to offer tea and cake at our house, come round, we'll go through it with you, we'll pull it together and we'll look and see, as a community, what giftings do we see on the table? It's really helpful. It's really good just to be like, oh, I didn't quite realise that's what that was. There's also, as part of it, I can email out as well in, in advance. It's a little bit about what they all mean. What does that look like in practice? And actually, it's an opportunity for you to think about how and what are my giftings, but then how and would I use those as part of the community that I am in? And it should hopefully set, change the narrative as well around service. Because there will be times when we need to wash up cups and put out chairs, and that's not necessarily the most glamorous, exciting, or, you know, it's not my calling kind of state, like, opportunities. But it is also an opportunity when we look at building our part of the wall in Berry to actually say, what have I been put here for? What are the giftings that I've been given, the talents that I've been given, 
to be able to bring and serve in this environment. Alongside that, one of the things that I really feel we have to consider and we have to look at is our character. Because the fruits of the Spirit, so gentleness, kindness, love, self-control, those fruits of the Spirit are the scaffolding to our giftings. So you might be gifted very much so in preaching. But if you haven't been able to develop the right scaffolding in order to hold that gifting, it, might, it won't be able to actually thrive. So as we come together in community, as we share, as we develop, as we pull together in one another and challenge one another and grow in with one another, as well as doing that with our, in our own prayer time, we see the fruits of the Spirit, which we all benefit from through, um, you know, through that being a process of us all outworking that. But we build the scaffolding to hold the giftings that God's got for us in this time. And that means that the church is continually growing, continually developing, continually reaching those that need Jesus the most. That actually we become a community that welcomes people in. We become a community that sees each other changed. And so as we do the practicals of serving and outreach and evangelism and all the things that we've listed there, we actually grow not only in our relationship with one another, but ultimately with our relationship with God. In, that, um, the, in the chapter three, the whole way through, it's got references to people doing stuff on their doorstep. They do it where they were. And I was really challenged by that. I was really encouraged to know that actually they were building on their doorstep. So we get a chance to build on our doorstep. We get the opportunity to use what we have on our doorstep. And I think for some people, maybe that's really difficult. Maybe actually you've come from a church where you have tried to be, use your giftings, you've tried to use your talents, and that's been rejected or misunderstood. And I want to apologize for that. But actually, this is an opportunity now to come into right um, strong leadership, because I trust Simon, but also to be able to actually start again and look at where we're at now. And I think also this is a place where maybe you're not ready yet. Maybe there's stuff going on. Maybe life is hard. Maybe the idea of giving any more of yourself is actually too difficult. And I want to encourage you that part of being in community is that we get to take breaks, <laughs> that we get to work with each other and to see each other in weakness and in strength. And as we feed into that, we're at the absolute opportune moment because this is at the start. We get to set a culture and get to enjoy each other's company and presence at the start of something new. So what does that look like practically? I would like to encourage you and challenge you to go away and think about what you really want to do what really excites you, whether that's coming along and doing the gifts course with us. I say course, it's just a night, but coming along with us and working that out or having a conversation with Simon and Sarah and saying, look, this is what I really feel God's passioned me about. This is what I really am frustrated with. How can I feed into what you guys have planned? How can we be team? And maybe out of that, we'll see things, further things develop. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to really input into the start of something great because Berry needs a church like this. Berry needs you. Berry needs your giftings 
It needs your heart. It needs your compassion. It needs you. And as we grow together, we have the opportunity to see God go further than we could ever go on our own. And the burden that we take on in um, making disciples is actually something beautiful and something shared. And I think it would be amazing to look back in a year's time and to see how far you've come in your own development, in your own giftings, but also to see this building filled with the people who have benefited from the opportunity to hear from you and to see from you what God can do. Now, I'm not saying that it was perfect, and I know that obviously Nehemiah has, if you've read on, I don't want to give any spoilers, but he obviously had lots of challenges and lots of issues, and we will have the same. But actually, if the heart is right, and if we're all, if we're all able to step forward and take ownership of that part of the wall, I think God could do something incredible. In fact, I know he could do something incredible. Um, when prepping for this, I really felt, I was praying, and I just really felt like God was saying to me that in this room, there are gifts that are locked in boxes. But the exciting thing is, is that other people in this room have the keys. So I want to really encourage you. I'm going to do a bit of extended prayer today. And what I want to encourage you, if you're someone who is confident or, or feels comfortable to pray, is just to go around and bless people. Just a simple prayer of blessing and let's create and start creating this real time now of praying for one another so that actually let's see some of these gifts unlocked let's see this um let's see some more like challenging conversations and let's have the opportunity to see God's kingdom come and his will be done in Berry.